Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. We're in the middle right now of a series that we're calling I Have a Friend That. And what that blanker ending is, is questions or unique situations that may arise based off of what we see our friends doing. And we just don't know what to do about it. So what we're doing is we're looking to the Bible to learn how to address it. And today's ending is I have a friend who is just struggling. Just struggling. Like, what do you do when you see your friends struggling? My gut instinct when I have a friend struggling is to instantly go to shoving them with coffee and sweets. Anybody else do this? Like, you see a friend struggling, you're like, oh, you're instantly, I'm giving you all the treats, all the ice cream in the world. That's like the first thing that comes to mind. Let's get ice cream. Let's get ice cream. Anyone else do this? Like, who loves ice cream in this place? Okay, only a few. Oh, 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 now my hands come up. I just want to do a little poll. We did it in the first service. Like, raise your hand for your favorite ice cream. Is it Gillies? No one. Oh, all right. Oh, okay, okay. How about Culver's? Kelly's? Oh, there it's at. Dairy Queen? Who likes Shamrock Shakes from McDonald's? Anybody? Well, we're having those next week in between the services uh, to kind of create a good community between both services and just to have some fun with St. Patty's Day. But we're having that instead of donuts, so be here next week if you like shamrock shakes. But treats are my first go-to when I see a friend struggling or hurting. And when that just doesn't feel right to do, I go to pep talk mode. That's step number two for me. Anyone else do this? Like I instantly try to fix the problem with positive encouragement. When I have a friend struggling, I feel like a cheesy dad quote type person. Like I instantly go into, you got this champ. Come on, bud. You get him, sport. You know, like or something super positive that's usually cheesy when I say it in my head. And sometimes it does land. Sometimes it does. But most of the time, I don't know about you, I get the glazed over look from that friend and it just feels like it didn't do anything. Maybe I'm not that motivating, but I'm guessing you felt that way as well with friends that are struggling, especially when you give them a pep talk. Uh, We do these pep talks even though it's common knowledge that the majority of us would just prefer to be listened to than given a cliche encouragement. Yet we still do them. But what if the struggle's past the pep talk mode? What if it's past that and it's something you don't feel comfortable like giving a pep talk to or encouragement to? Then what do you do? What do you do for your struggling friend then? Parents, y'all know what that's like, right? Like this is my daughter's recent struggle. Like she didn't want to walk into the kitchen from the living room. Her legs didn't work, she said. My legs don't work. In that moment, A pep talk goes nowhere. Maybe ice cream would in this situation, but there's no way I'm giving her ice cream in that situation. Now, this is a bit of an exaggeration. It's a bit silly, right? Using a two-year-old's emotions, uh, walking and having functional legs uh, past bedtime. But let's get a little bit real here for a second. Let's get serious for a moment and just think about real struggles and situations that we've encountered for ourselves. Situations that are past pep talks. Like for you, maybe it's something with your health. Your health and you're just struggling. Maybe it's with a family change and we're struggling. 
Maybe it's a relationship gone bad and we're struggling. Maybe it's bad news at work or school or at home and we're struggling. Do you have a friend going through something like that where they're just struggling? Again, maybe the struggle is faith or their mental health or struggling to discern what to do next in life or struggling with how to handle something that happened to them in the past or what's going on currently in their life or waiting on God to show up. They've been waiting and waiting and they're struggling because they've been praying for months and years even. I don't know about you, but these are real situations. I have friends that are just struggling with some of these, don't you? Or if it's not a friend, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that's struggling with this. When, when we see struggle or know someone expect, experiencing that struggle, what do we do? What do we do? Honestly, this is so hard for me because I just, I want to give the wisdom, right? I want to give the wisdom and the advice to just solve things for them. I want to spout off encouragement and my opinion of what I would do if I was them. I want to know all the right things to say to ease their struggle. I just want to fix things for them. Do you ever feel that way when you like see other people's struggles? Yet even still, is that the right approach to helping our friends who are struggling, grieving, hurting, stressing? Is that even what they want? I mean, there's no book of perfect Christian sayings or methods or solutions to these things, how to exactly help people through their struggles. But what we do have is the Bible. And we do have Jesus' example. So today what we're doing is we're looking at the Bible at what Jesus did in these situations. And we're getting extremely practical today by breaking it down in steps. What he did for his friends so that we can replicate it for ourselves, for our friends. Today's message, it's not like some earth-shattering like revelation or, or message or anything of that sort. But what it's doing is it's giving you uh, it's giving you guidance straight from the Bible, Jesus' way of helping his friends who were struggling, so that you can do it for your friends the way Jesus did. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm going to do something, I want to do it the way, like, or as close to the way that Jesus did it. And that's how I'm going to approach this when I see my friends struggling, and I hope you do as well. So with that, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into John 11 and look at this time when Jesus is helping three friends with a struggle. Uh, a bit of context that you need to know before we dive into the stories. Jesus has been around a little bit now on earth. He's been performing miracles, and he's getting known. And he's visited these three individuals and actually kind of got booted out of their hometown because people didn't like his teaching. So he's, he's friends with them, he's visited them before. Yet one of these three individuals sends out words or word about a struggle that the other is experiencing. And even though there's danger for him to return to his home or that hometown, he feels he must go to them. Because the news he got is that his friend, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is sick. So he goes. And this is where we're picking up in John 11, verse 17. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. All right, so Lazarus isn't just struggling anymore. He isn't just sick. He's dead. He's dead, as in dead, dead. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Jesus reminds her that there is hope for Lazarus. There is a future for him, which she knows and she affirms. But that doesn't mean there isn't still hurt for her, for her loss. So Jesus continues in his example of how to deal with struggling with this sister. Again, there's two of them, Mary and Martha. In verse 32 it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus then saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept is the next verse. Verse 35 just says Jesus wept, meaning we can see Jesus mourns and he cries with them. The passage continues into our last chunk of scripture that we're going to look at in this section. It says this, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he, he who opened the eyes of blind men have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I think that you have, give, you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. At the end of the story, Jesus performs a miracle, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's amazing. It's it's super amazing. And I'm guessing it was an extremely comforting moment for, for Mary and for Martha, for all those that are around. Yet many of us, we don't raise people from the dead, right? We don't see people raised from the dead that often. With that, I'm not suggesting that you need to just start declaring that and raise people from the dead and provide miracles like for you to follow Jesus' example, to ease maybe other people's struggles. But what we can see Jesus do is some things prior to that that we can do, that we can model after what he's done, that ease the struggle for others. And These are what I want to focus on today. Because if it was good enough for Jesus to do, it's got to be good enough for you and me. So the first thing that he did is he notices them. He notices them. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble, it says. He notices they're struggling. Now this is a bigger statement than maybe what you're thinking right now. Jesus, a man notices things. Women in the room, did you just hear what I said? He must be God, right? I never like stereotyping, so I'll just refer to myself for a moment, but as a man, according to my wife, I don't notice a lot of things. I don't even, like, I don't, don't even get me started on what she says I don't hear, but anyway, so uh, what I don't notice is we'll be maybe at like a wedding or a restaurant or something, and my wife Sydney will be like, what'd you think of the reception? What'd you think? And I'd be like, the steak was good. It's good. And she'd be like, no, like the table, the flowers, the, the colors, and how they decorated. What'd you think of that? There were tables? And I'll think, and like, it, like it, I, it, I can't even remember. Or she'll say like, what do you think of this outfit? What do you think of this? And I think, 
I think I'm smarter than most guys. I've learned my lesson from this type of thing. So I'll say, like, it's good. I love when you wear that one. And she'll be like, well, it's new. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, so if we go back to our story, to be more like Jesus, though, we need to notice things. Jesus notices their struggles. You can't be like a typical guy or me. We need to start noticing things. There's another time in Scripture, and it's actually another time where Jesus raises the dead, and it's in Luke 7, but before he does something for the person struggling, he again notices them. In Luke 7, 11, uh, is where it start, or 12 is where it starts. A funeral procession was coming out as they approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Jesus notices struggle. And Jesus was a man. Now, if you're a guy in the room, you might be like, he was at a funeral. Like, of course he's going to see they're, they're struggling. Or uh, he was going to visit Mary and Martha, and like, they knew that there was like, sickness going on. Of course he's going to know that they're maybe struggling with this. I could even notice those things as maybe what you're thinking right now, which is very true. In Scripture, though, we can see that Jesus was consistently good at reading people. In our context today, for a lot of struggles people are dealing with in our lives, there isn't a specific time or event like a funeral or things of that sort corresponding with all the emotions or struggles people are going through. Sometimes people are visibly angry but holding the bad news they got and it's tearing them up inside. Sometimes people have this blank face on them because they're hurting mentally but too ashamed to express it. Sometimes people have this posture of fear because they're struggling in faith or understanding with what they're going through and are choosing to keep it inside. If we're to be like Jesus, helping people in their struggles, especially in today's context, we need to get good at noticing nonverbal cues. 93%. 93%. Did you know that studies have found that 93% of language is communicated without words? Albert Merbian, he's a researcher of body language, and he first broke down the components of a face-to-face conversation. And he found that 55% is nonverbal, such as body language and movements. 38% of how things are communicated is through tone and tempo. 7% is through the words. 55% on body language alone. If you've been coming here at Centerpoint for a while, you hear quite often of how I stink at certain things. Like noticing things at a wedding, for example. But if I'm truly honest with you on this one, noticing people's body language and struggle, I think it's one I'm actually pretty good at. I think it's one I have pretty good intuition of. I'm not trying to break because I'm horrible at the next three points we're going to look at in a second here, but I'm good at this first one. I feel I'm pretty good at noticing my friends who are struggling. And I, and I do this by trying to read that 93%. For example, like I can tell like when my friend of years, like we've just been friends for so long, I can tell when he's frustrated about something by how quick he responds back to me or how slow he texts back to me. I can tell when a neighbor doesn't really feel comfortable around me when they look away often and, and keep proximity between us. 
uh, or even, even my wife, Sydney. Sydney is my best friend, and I'm really good at noticing when she's struggling, like when she's mad or hurt by others or stressed or holding something hurtful inside. I can just sense it that something is kind of different, maybe about her face even. To, to let you in on a little secret of Sydney, here's a picture of her. You've seen this. You've seen her before she was leading worship. But a couple things you can notice. Her face. That's a fake smile. That's not a real smile. Like I can tell she is not excited about this picture I'm taking of her. Her arm posture like shows me she's got something unfun like going on and she's going to be talking to me about me forcing her to take this picture later. Her proximity to me. She's not super close to me. Sydney likes to be close to me and she doesn't want to be comforted. She's kind of showing that she has something against me. Her eyes. Her eyes are like glaring. They don't, they don't look nice. They say I'm mad. <laughs> and the stain on her shirt that you can't see usually means that it's been a rough morning with the, with the girls. But anyways, now these, these are a bit subjective things that I've learned with Sydney over the years. But there's some research that's been done to help people understand others' body language. The research done that we're going to look at for just like a minute here is from Fremont University. And they say a couple different things. The first one is study the eyes. If you're trying to understand or read people, study the eyes. The blink rate increases in stress. Glancing at the door indicates that they want to leave. Um, You can also gaze at the face. Gaze at their face. Like, are they smiling? Are they fake smiling. And you can kind of tell. You can determine maybe what's going on. Pay attention to proximity of how far or how close they are to you. If they're willing to be close to you, they they maybe are fine. But if they're distant, more distant than they normally are, there might be something going on. See if the other person is mirroring you. Are they doing some of the same things that you're doing? Are you relaxing? Are you doing this? And now they're doing this. And now it's a tense conversation. There's probably something going on. Observe head movement, like the speed of head movement indicates patience or impatience, right? If it's fast nods, it kind of means they want you to stop talking, right? Uh, if, it, if it's like kind of relaxed, it might mean that they're okay with it. Look at the other person's feet. They'll, they'll point where they want to go. So if people's feet are pointing at the door, it means they probably want to leave, right? It might mean they're done with this conversation. Watch for hand signals, Is it a nice gesture they're giving you, or is it a mean gesture they're maybe giving you with the hand signals? Are their hands in their pockets or crossed? It maybe shows that they have something going on or frustrating. Again, these are some tips to just read body language that can be resourceful for a lot of different areas of life. But today we're talking about struggle. Struggle. And caring for friends when they are struggling. Are you noticing your friends struggling? Are you noticing their body language, their tone? Maybe, you, maybe it's obvious that they're weeping and struggling, and so you don't have to like notice. It doesn't take a lot to notice them. Maybe you're at a corresponding event, and you just know they're struggling, but do you notice them? Are you intentional about noticing them? Because we see Jesus does that, but then we also see that the next thing he does is he goes to them. He went to them. John eleven seventeen. it says, On his arrival, he goes to Mary and Martha. And he finds them mourning. In the situation with the widow and the son, uh, in Luke 7, 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over towards them. I don't want to spend a long time on this one because it's obvious what we are to do, right? But Jesus went to them. In both struggling situations, he notices them and then he went to them. Now, as we get used to noticing people, Be prepared to follow Jesus' second step, right? 
Are you doing that when you see your friends struggling? When you notice them, are you going to them? Or are you just oblivious of it? Or maybe, maybe you're trying to avoid noticing them because you don't want to go to them. If I'm going to be honest with you for a second, it's sometimes something I avoid. Because helping friends who are struggling is time-consuming. It is time-consuming. And a big reason, it's a big reason why we're talking about it today because it's awkward to know what to say or do when you do notice it and go to them. But this week's message, it's called me out personally that I need to go to people that I see struggling. God has given me the intuition. He's gifted me with the intuition of seeing struggle in my friends or people around me. I need to use it to be like Christ. What about you? It's not that you need to go to every single person you see hurting or have a frown on their face, but do you do that for your friends at least? Go to them when you see them hurting. Which gets to our next point, and I think it's the most profound point that we can see Jesus do. It's Jesus mourned with them. When Jesus was with Mary and Martha, he again wept. Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. He wasn't trying to be the strong one in that situation. He wasn't trying to like hold his emotions in in their struggle. He wasn't trying to have all the answers for why this is happening. He simply weeps and he mourns with those who are hurting. I mean, this is quite profound because he's God. He knows the results of what he's going to do next. He knows why death happens, yet he weeps with them. In the widow's story, it says, his heart overflowed with compassion. Jesus mourns with them. You want to know Jesus' secret to being able to do this, to, to, to mourn with others in their struggle? It's empathy. It's empathy. To be clear what empathy means, it's this. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Jesus wept and he mourned, not because he was just faking up emotions to match what other people were doing. He identified and he connected with the person's mourning. Check out how prominent psychologists define empathy. They say this, according to Hodges and Myers in the Encyclopedia of Social Psychology, empathy is often defined as understanding another person's experience by imagining oneself in that other person's situation. One understands the other person's experience as if it were being experienced by the self, but without the self actually going through it. Are you doing that when you see your friend struggle? If you're actually trying to do this, it then gives you some real practical and honest things that you can say and ask when you go to that person struggling. Not because you're just filling the time with awkward conversation, but because you want to connect with them. Ask how you're doing. What are you doing to get through this? What's your biggest ache? What do you need? These not only connect you with that person struggling, but it also gives you compassion and understanding, which will allow you to be empathetic to them. For my Bible nerds in the room right now, this is very different than crying and acting sad because in biblical times, there were references or there are references to professional mourners. In Bible times, there were professional mourners, as in actors. Here's an example. It says, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, The Lord there is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, Alas, alas, they also call the farmer to mourning, and the professional mourners to lamentation. We aren't called to be professional mourners. We aren't to just be criers, wear black, be sad, talk soft, say praying for you, 
That's being a professional mourner. That's an actor. These professional mourners in the Bible, what they would do is they would tear up, they would rip their shirts, they'd scratch their face, they'd loudly yell, they'd pull their hair out, and more. On and on it goes on. First off, when I was thinking about this, this sounds like a miserable job, right? The worst acting job ever. But it was for show. It was for show. It was meant to publicly show others how important this person who passed was. It was, it was thought that the more grieving or the more people heard grieving, the greater the person was. Some scholars state that these professional mourners were more often women as they had a greater connection to their emotions. I know that's a loaded statement, but also because it socially wasn't as acceptable for men to cry in public, especially in biblical times. Yet Jesus, God, weeps. He weeps in public because he connects with the person struggling. He doesn't care about the public perspective. This is one of the strongest points I want you to leave with today and should be the thing that allows you to actually help someone struggling and have a better idea of what you should do for them. You are to be empathetic. Not necessarily stating things perfectly or theologically profound to them, but connect with them emotionally. There's a famous Christian counselor. His name is Philip Yancey, and he wrote this book about his counseling sessions and things of that sort. And in his book, though, he realizes that most theological answers that Christians give or, or that Christians say, maybe even the cliche sayings that they say to people struggling, they hurt rather than help. And so he talks about how he opts for this different approach. He states this. He says, First I asked myself how these words would sound to a mother who kissed her daughter goodbye as she put her on the school bus and then later that day was called to identify her bloody body. Would my words bring comfort or compound her pain? Then I asked myself what Jesus would say to that mother. Few theological explanations passed those tests. The only way I know how to respond with comfort and healing as Jesus did, is to fully embrace the mother's grief and to assure her that God feels more grieved than she does. This is a great reminder for us because it's so easy for us to do the quick Google search for some verses or spout off some verses. And it's so easy to, to default to the pep talk mode, right? Like with only giving encouragement or positives. Like you can do all things through Christ. You can get through this. You got this. Or God works all things for good, which are all true and good. But have you taken time to mourn with that person first? Again, are you empathetic to those struggling? Are you putting yourself in their shoes? Are you trying to understand from their perspective? Are you helping them with their burden by sharing it? Galatians 6, 2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So appropriately share it with someone means to enter in it with them. This again is modeled by Jesus' actions. Are you doing this? When your friend is dealing with an illness, a faith struggle, a divorce, a death, a family dynamic, a betrayal, a loss of a child, you are to be empathetic and put yourself in their situation. But it doesn't have to just stay there. Our last point is Jesus provided hope to them. When you're the one struggling, hope's pretty hard to see, isn't it? It's so hard to see hope when you're struggling. It's like a stinky smell is what comes to mind to me. It's like a stinky smell that you just can't get away from. Like, have you ever walked into a room and it just stinks? 
And you're like, you're trying to think about things and you just can't. You can't like get past the smell. It's just overtaking you. It consumes you. The stench is there. I'm not seeing any head nuts. So apparently you guys don't go to stinky places. Maybe I need to like find the places that I go to. <laughs> but struggling with something and finding hope during the struggle, it reminds me of this. It's kind of like, it reminded me actually of like, if I used to work in an office with a bunch of different coworkers, and if someone brought fish, like leftover fish, and microwaved it, oh, it's horrible. It reminds me of this scene. Check out this video. Yeah, feel it now? Idiots. No. Time to smell what the rock is cooking. Please. It's fish. You don't have to do this. Can we get someone down here, please? Who's ready for Flavor Town? It's our Fridays. It's Monday. What is wrong with you? I can't see anything. I can't see anything. Yeah. But at least I don't smell anything. <laughs> what is that? What is that? <laughs> That's what invited me to the holiday party. Okay, so maybe not that extreme. But when someone is struggling, it's hard for them to see hope, right? Because the stench or the, they're clouded by it. We see that Jesus, though, brings hope in our story. It says in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He reminds them of hope they already know, but he's giving them a fresh whiff of it. No matter what they're struggling with, God promises it is temporary for us. In Revelation 21, 4, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. This doesn't erase the event. It doesn't remove the pain that people maybe are currently going through, but it does give a light to the end of the tunnel, right? It gives hope because it says there will be a time where we'll stop mourning. There will be a time where there is no more crying or dealing with pain, when death will be no more. When you have friends struggling, you don't have to get into the theology of it or explain exactly what that looks like. But from the way that verse reads... No matter what we maybe are thinking or wanting or how bad the pain or the struggle is in that current moment, God says in the future it will be no more. We might not see how that's even possible to forget or to not let that thing like, like just eat us up inside or struggle. But he promises that there will be a time where hurt will be no more. You can offer that to people. Matthew 5, 14, it says, you are the light of the world. You are a light. You are a light. You, a Christian friend, can remove the dark. You can remove the stench or the hopelessness for someone. And to remind you of that, I'm actually going to have a couple of like, people pass out some gum. I have my hosts that are back there. Um, I have some gum sticks for you. They look like this. Everyone's going to get a little gum stick. And so the reason I'm doing this is for a couple reasons. First off, I need a reminder to do these things. I need a personal reminder to be hope, especially when I see a friend struggling and want to be like Jesus to them. So I created an easy trigger for myself to go to this, to default to this. So my reminder is gum. Again, this is me. You got to do something that works for you, but I thought I would bring you in on my situation as maybe it works for you. So gum is my reminder. I put the gum in my mouth. First off, because I talk less when I have gum in my mouth. I do. I talk less. And you might be thinking, why didn't you start the service with gum in your mouth, Aaron? Be shorter. Well, 
You can know that we're getting close to the end because I'm chewing gum. But it reminds me to not give a pep talk. It reminds me to not give a pep talk because I talk less and I chew more. I'm, well, I'm willing to get closer to someone when I have gum in my mouth because I know my breath doesn't stink. And when I'm closer to someone, I feel their emotions better. I feel their emotions better. I can read them better, which allows me to be more empathetic. And lastly, it reminds me to give a fresh, minty whiff of hope. It reminds me of that. Again, this is similar to what Jesus did, right? Like, he noticed them, he went to them, he mourned with them, he provided hope to them. Again, gum is something that I'm using as a trigger for myself to do those things. I notice someone's struggle. I see it. I put gum in. It allows me to be comfortable going to them and getting close to that person as they mourn. And it reminds me to bring something fresh, hope. It might be cheesy to you to carry around gum or to put gum in your mouth when you see someone struggling, but it's helped me. It's helped me. So take a pack with you, put it somewhere. Maybe it can remind you. Maybe it can help you uh, with a friend struggling the way Jesus did. But as we're getting close to wrapping up today, I hope you're leaving with some ideas and a less awkward method to handle situations with friends when they are struggling. But today, you might be here and you might be realizing you're the one struggling. You're the one struggling. If that's you, I want you to know all the things Jesus did for Lazarus, for Martha, for Mary, are things he wants to do for you. Jesus understood their grief and struggle. Even though he knew what the outcome was going to be, he understood their hurt. It's the same with you. God understands what you're going through. He wants to be there for you in your grief. If you're struggling with something today, it's probably why you're here today. To hear this, to know that God wants to be there with you. He's mourning with you. He wants to give you the greatest hope you ever can have. A forever future with him, as Revelation 21.4 says. It will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. If you've never asked God to be a part of your life and to guide you in that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now so that you can have the God of the universe help you in your own struggles. Would you pray with me as I close us? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Some of us right now are struggling. We're struggling. And God, we, we need you. We're mourning and we just remind us that you're mourning with us. You understand what we're going through. Comfort us. Let us experience your peace. Make it really known to us that we can experience the peace that you offer. And God, some of us maybe have never even said, God, we want to be in a relationship with you. We want that connection to you. So God, right now we're saying we, we accept who you are and we want your guidance. Give us that peace. And then God, some of us right now are saying we want to, to help our friends that are maybe struggling. We see friends struggling. Help us act in a way that's honorable to you and that's in the same way that you modeled for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.